Let's pray as we come to the word this morning. Almighty Heavenly Father, we come this morning in awe of your wonder, in awe of your majesty, in awe of your glory, your grace. Lord, we acknowledge that uh, we, are, we are called in covenant relationship into your kingdom. We are called to be redeemed and restored back into your likeness. Father, this morning, our prayer is that your, your Holy Spirit would work with us, work in us, to encourage us, to comfort us, and to help us grow ever more increasingly in your glory, in your righteousness, in your holiness. So will you be with us this morning, we pray. Amen. This morning, we continue our series looking at the life of Joseph. Today, we find ourselves uh, in the... Uh, today, we find our passage in Genesis chapter 40. As we've looked through this series so far, we've seen that God continues to have a plan. Despite um, Joseph's circumstances, despite the situations that Joseph finds himself in, God has a plan and he's had a plan ever since before the beginning of creation. And, and right there at the beginning of, of creation, God had a plan to redeem and to restore mankind who he'd created in his likeness, in his holiness, in his righteousness, in the image of himself, who had fallen away, as, as we read in Genesis chapter 3, God had a plan, a plan to redeem us when we had nothing that was redeemable in us. And uh, as we look at the life of Joseph, we see that God's plan is going to be worked through him. As we saw back in week one, the promise that, that God gave to Abraham, that he would not only be the father of, of many nations, but that through his offspring, all the people, all the families of the world would be blessed through him. God has a plan. A plan for Joseph, even though Joseph can't fathom it, can't understand it, can't see it all the way through. God has had his hand on, on Joseph and God is there for Joseph. And God has a plan bigger and greater than just simply for Joseph, but indeed for Joseph's family. That they would become a holy nation, a royal priesthood through which the world would see God's glory, through which the world would see God's grace, through which the world would know uh, his mercy and his righteousness, a, a, a people through whom he could bring forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation and restoration. His plan is not simply to show the world how much greater he is that God is than mankind, how much better he is, how much more of a good being that God is and, and how sinful man is. God's plan is, is so much, much more than that. God's plan 
was to reach down deep into the brokenness, deep into the lost and darkened world to bring hope, redemption, salvation and restoration. And Joseph, in all of the ups and downs that he goes through, is going to play a significant role for this family, for for this uh, uh, infant nation still to be. More than that, Joseph is going to present to a nation perhaps the greatest nation in the world at this time, the image of God, to show a godless nation that Yahweh is righteous, that Yahweh is holy, and that Yahweh is indeed powerful. And this indeed would just be one step in God's ultimate plan to seek and save the lost, as Jesus himself declared in Luke 19.10. So we know that God has a plan at work. We are seeing each week as we look at Joseph's life that God is working out his plan. When, when Joseph gets sold into slavery, God has a plan. Because what God needs to achieve through uh, Joseph and what God desires to achieve through, through Joseph cannot be achieved. This plan that God showed him in his dreams cannot be achieved while he remains in Canaan with his family. There is much trial and hardship to come, yet God has a plan and he is working The second thing we see throughout this series is the importance for us as followers, just like it was for Joseph, to seek God's heart in every situation, in every problem, in every circumstance. As we've been saying uh, over the last couple of weeks, to dare to stare deep into the heart of God. Last week, we saw that Joseph was confronted with temptation and he stood firm, not in his own strength, not out out of his own sense of pride and self-identity, but in humility with a deep affection for God. We looked at the encouragements from the New Testament in how to deal with temptation by by seeking out God's heart. This morning, as we come to chapter 40, we see yet again another familiar story in the line of Joseph's story. Join with me and we're going to read from Genesis chapter 39 verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that Joseph, that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. 
You see, once again, we're seeing God's hand upon Joseph. Even in these uncomfortable situations, even in these difficult situations, we see that God's hand is upon Joseph, that God is working through Joseph, that God is blessing Joseph in his situation, in his circumstance, to bring about something far greater than just Joseph, far bigger than just Joseph. God has a plan and he is at work. We see this similar pattern in the same way that, that Joseph was blessed in Potiphar's house. And everything that Joseph did with his hands was blessed in Potiphar's house. We see yet again the same blessing applied upon Joseph and his life. Not because Joseph in and of himself was a brilliant mind. But we're told because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. One of the things that we see consistently is that despite his situations and despite his circumstances, Joseph is never far from drawing near to the heart of God. Chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of, the Egypt, of Egypt and his baker committed an offence against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard and the prison, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them and they continued for some time in custody. We're not told what the offence was that, that the cupbearer, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker had committed against Pharaoh. It may have been quite severe, it may have been quite fickle. But we're, and we're not told how long they've been imprisoned with Joseph. But we do know that these two men held a position of significant trust in Pharaoh's court. They, they represented perhaps the, the, the two most easiest ways to assassinate Pharaoh through poisoning, either through what he drank or through what he ate. So they were incredibly trusted and often that meant that they had the ear of Pharaoh. They, people in these positions often became very trusted advisors. Yet here they are with their freedom taken. And shortly, uh, in, in three days as we will find, or in a, in a short time, around the, the celebration of Pharaoh's birthday, one will be pardoned and the other will be condemned. So perhaps this was a, a frequent part of the celebration of, of Pharaoh's birthday. We're not told. We're just simply told of, of the timing that is here. We read on in verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each the dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house. 
Why are your faces faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Just as they are today, in ancient society, dreams were very significant. They often uh, were believed to to hold significance um, over someone's life or or what was about to happen for them, um, what the future held for them in their lives. Even today, God still uses dreams and visions to intercede, to intervene into people's lives. It may be as a sense of warning, it may be as a promise of a fulfilment to come. Sometimes, as we've often heard the testimony, it is simply to reveal to someone his his grace, his glory, his mercy and his forgiveness. Uh, Just as he appeared before Saul on the road to Damascus and many have testified who have grown up uh, in the Muslim faith, testified to seeing an appearance of Jesus before them, dreaming an appearance of Jesus before them. So dreams were significant and and in Egypt, um, as with many of the ancient Near, Near Eastern countries to follow, and and around that time and and to come later on, they would seek the interpretation from wise men or seers. In a similar way today, we might go to, people go to clairvoyance or fortune tellers or or things like that uh, to, to try and get an interpretation of their dreams, to try and have an understanding Such was the desire of of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker on this morning. Yet being confined in prison, taken away from the prestige of their their roles within the court, they had no access to anyone to interpret. And and what's interesting here is that, that Joseph gently but courageously demonstrates his faith. When he says, do not dreams. Uh, He he says, let me just read it again. Do not interpretations belong to God. He's simply saying, no man can know. No idol can know. But there there is one, one God almighty who does. Many, many, many centuries later, uh, the Babylonian Empire would rise and uh, take from from Israel uh, some of the the choicest of of their noble people. Amongst them were Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and also Daniel. We read in Daniel chapter 2 that King Nebuchadnezzar had had a very disturbing dream. But he was tired of of the wise men just telling him what it was that he wanted to hear. And and so he he charged them that not only did they need to provide an interpretation of their dream, they had to tell him what he dreamt, to which they all protested. Yet unless they could come with an answer, they would all be killed. 
And so Daniel presented himself to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, O king, what you ask, no man can provide. But my God will have your answer for you. And so Daniel went away and he prayed. And God not only revealed the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him, but also the dream. And we have a similar situation here with Joseph having the dreams presented to him. He declares to them, God holds the interpretation. He offers an intercession on their behalf to intercede, to stand in the gap between Yahweh and the cupbearer and the baker. To go between, to stand in between and to seek from God their interpretation. So Daniel asks, tell them to me. Tell them to me that I may seek God for their interpretation. In verse 9 we continue. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine were three branches, and as soon as it budded, it, uh, as soon as it's budded, it budded its blossoms, shot forth, and the clusters of ripened, uh, clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and presented them, uh, pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention to me. Mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favourable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the, heads, the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgave him, uh, forgot him. What's important for us to know here, uh, note here, is that. is that this um, forgetfulness of the cupbearer was, was not an intentional thing. It was not a slight that he had against Joseph being a Hebrew, not an Egyptian, uh, or anything like that. It was simply in the moment 
amongst all of the craziness around him, uh, amongst the revelation that what Joseph had told him had come through to fruition, amongst the joy and the relief of being restored to his role. He simply forgot Joseph. We might be tempted to think that, to ask the question, where is the justice here for Joseph, who's done nothing wrong? Why should he suffer? Why should he go through this prolonged suffering, this prolonged trial and difficult period in his life? As indeed we may well ask of ourselves, God, why? Why am I going through this? When will it end? When will I see an end to my my pain? When will I see an end to my grief? When will I see an end to my struggles? What are you doing in my life, God? What are you trying to do? It would be reasonable for us to expect that that God is going to come riding in to deliver Joseph and to deal out retribution on everyone who had done wrong. But remember, God has got a plan a plan that he put in place, in motion, right back at the very beginning. A plan that that looks forward far beyond Joseph's life. Yet there is something important that he needs to do in this time, at this moment, through Joseph. You see, God's plan, God's justice, is not primarily about retribution, but about redemption. You remember a few weeks ago, we looked at that passage. We touched on that passage from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, where Isaiah reflects this about the character and nature of God. The Lord waits patiently to be gracious to you. And in his mercy, he exalts himself because he is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. It may seem like it's a long time coming. God's plan is a long time in being worked out. But justice is not about primarily about retribution. That time will come eventually at the end of all things. But for now, for now in this season, in this moment, God is waiting in order to be gracious to us. Because he is a God of justice. And when we read that, we need to redefine what the word justice means. It's not not a term of penal justification. It's a desire for reconciliation. Desire to make things right again. And God's primary desire is to do that through the sacrifice of his son to offer us a gift that we don't deserve, that we can't earn. So if God is waiting patiently, it means that there are times and seasons that we need to endure in order to see the development of God's plan. In order to see that God is is not just about saving me or you, that God is about saving all who would believe. All who would believe. 
would be reasonable for us to identify with uh, perhaps what Joseph might have been feeling through these times as he waited to see God's plan for him. I can only imagine what that must have been like. Just that endless, seemingly endless waiting. Initially knowing it was going to be three days and then just waiting for that moment when the cupbearer would be restored, he would place the cup back in Pharaoh's hand and having the ear of Pharaoh say, Pharaoh, my king, there is a Hebrew man in the prison that does not belong there. And, and the three days come and go, four, five, six, then weeks, then months. And as we'll see next week, it's two years. Two long, hard years before Joseph is remembered. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? Where you feel like everything is just overwhelming and pressing in and unrelenting. Like it just is never going to come to an end. When I was 15, uh, I, I was a part of a boys brigade in Brisbane and uh, we'd planned a, an expedition, a, a weekend of, of hiking through the back of, of Kenilworth. We, had, we carried everything we needed with it. We had it with our hiking packs, with our tents, our cooking gear, our food, our water, everything. Uh, and we had mapped out where we were going to go and where we were going to, what, what course we'd take, where we would turn, what direction we would go, for how far, for how long, all of those things. And we set off. I think we had a radio, but there were no adults there with us. It was a different time. We'd been trained and we knew how to orientate ourselves and how to follow the map and how to read a compass. One of the things that the maps that we had could not tell us, though, was where the lantana was. As we came towards, I think it was towards the last long stretch, we confronted a wall of lantana, one that we could not see the ends to go around. We could not see how far it went ahead. Maybe 50 metres, maybe 20. And so in single file, we pressed on through in the hot, sticky, humid day, middle of the day. Amidst all of the lantana that, that grew well above our heads as we, we crushed our way through, scratching up our legs to the point of bleeding the stinging, just, uh, stinging pain eventually just disappears because it's so persistent and constant. And all that we could ever see ahead was more lantana, more lantana, wondering when will we get through? When are we going to get through the other side? Just longing for a glimpse of, of a clear path ahead. Longing to hear the sound of someone at the front of our queue calling out that we're through, we're done, we've arrived. In, all in all, I think it was just over a, a kilometre of thick lantana that we had to go through. 
You know, often when we're in these moments, we're in these seasons of time where, where our troubles, our trials, our challenges, our pain and our grief just seems endless and overwhelming. We want just one thing. We want to know when it will end. We, we want to know, what, what are you doing here, God? What's your plan? What's your purpose in all of this? About 10 years ago, I broke my leg playing soccer and uh, broke both the tibia and the fibula. They put a pin in it and it took a little while, but it eventually healed up. About five years ago, I was still battling significant bouts of pain. On some days, it was almost unbearable to the point where I could barely walk. So I went and I saw a, a specialist who did scans and and he explained to me what was going on in my leg. He said that where the bones have fused back together, there's a calcification, there's a, a, a bump of, of calcification around that break. Isn't that marvellous how God has created our bodies that they can repair bone like that? But he said, what, what's happening is your muscle and your tendon are rubbing over that calcification. And at times that will cause inflammation and pain, like getting a rope and rubbing it across a rock. It'll start to fly, flare out and fray a bit. He said, that's what's happening. And he said, if, if it's causing you that much pain, we can go in and operate. But if it's not constant and if it's not extreme, it's not worth it. But, you know, simply knowing what's going on in my leg means that when I'm going through that pain, I know that I'm not doing any more damage. I know that there's nothing drastically wrong. And I know that the pain will go away. Just knowing makes it bearable. Knowing what's going on, knowing that things are really secure in my leg makes all the difference. The things that I've learned over the years is that our desire to know the specifics don't seem to ever go away. Many, many years ago, I was reading a book by uh, Chuck Swindoll around the life of David. David went through similar situations and where there were lots of ups and downs and uh, endless difficulties. And Chuck, reflecting on, on one particular aspect of, of David's time, puts things into perspective. He, he posed that same question, that we want to know what lies ahead, where, where the end of it is coming, what God has got in store for us. But he puts it in perspective and he says this. He says, consider the last five years of your life. Take some time just to think back through the last five years of your life. Think about the highs and the lows. Think about all that you've had happening in your life. The friends that you might have lost, the, the loved ones that, that you might have lost. The pain that you've endured, the trials that you've endured. If God told you, if you were able to go back and tell yourself, Five years ago, what was going to come? Would you believe yourself? Would you perhaps want to run away from it? 
I know many times I've taken a stock of my life and where God has been and what God's been doing. And sometimes it's even only at a 12-month period. I look back over the last 12 months. If we went back 12 months ago to look at all that has happened, would we believe it? Maybe two years, beginning of 2020. If you went back to the beginning of 2020 and told yourself what was about to come, would you believe it? But here's the thing. God proves time and again he is faithful. In Potiphar's house, God's hand was faithfully upon Joseph and all that he did. God's hand was on Joseph again in the jail. And it remained there. God is faithful and he has a plan that is bigger than us, bigger than our situation, bigger than our circumstance. The challenge is that often that's as much as we can know. God is in control. and God has a plan. The second thing that we see from Joseph is that despite his situation, he presses into God. It doesn't mean that he pretends that he's okay with everything. It doesn't mean that, that he just pushes down those feelings of frustration and anger and confusion. There are plenty of examples for us throughout, especially the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in Ecclesiastes, in Lamentations, where we see godly men Godly women cry out to God. They express the turmoil in them and this does not abate their faith and their trust that God is a faithful God, that God has a plan that goes well beyond our situation and our circumstance, that he's in control and that it's for the good of his kingdom, the good of his majesty and glory because he is a righteous God, a holy God, to be in awe of. And just perhaps the reason we're going through something tough, just maybe God has a plan and a purpose for it. Just maybe there's something that God is teaching us in it. And so the question that we should ask, and if you're indeed wrestling and struggling with something, I encourage you to do this. Ask God this. What is it that I need to know? What is it that you need me to do? What is it, God, that you're trying to show me? Humble me, God, and lead me in your ways everlasting. To put it another way, we might say that we dare to stare deep into the heart of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and Lord, we give thanks that you are who you are. Almighty Creator, amazing Redeemer, Saviour, majestic, magnificent, Mighty are you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of the en endless troubles we face,
Would you be our comfort? Would you be our shelter? Would you be our rock and our refuge? And may our hearts be ever more turned towards you. To lean in to you in the same way Joseph leant in. To rely on you. To know you ever more increasingly, more intimately. To know you. Take us, hold us deep in your heart. That we may know your compassion, your mercy. That we may be transformed more in your likeness. That we may be sure and steadfast in our hope that is in you. Amen.